0: You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Chris D'Antuano with Currency Cloud, and today I'm happy to have Mark Sol from Cipri. Mark, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure having you. And Mark has an extensive background in the payments industry and the technology industry. And if you could, Mark, for for our listeners to give a a brief background about yourself and what you've done and where you've gone ahead with CIPRI with.
0: Yeah, I'd be happy to do it. Again, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Certainly excited to be spending a little bit of time talking about something that we think matters a lot. uh, That's the payments ecosystem, large commercial payers and how it is they make payments. So my name is Mark Soule. I am the CEO and co-founder of a company called Cipri. Cipri is a spin out of PayPal. I was there as an entrepreneur in residence. And uh, the time that I spent at PayPal, we were looking at how or if PayPal should somehow get into the commercial payments business. And the team that I ran there, we came to a couple of core conclusions. Number one is that payments for the enterprise is much more of a solution sale and more oriented to selling software and solutions than just processing. Number two is that the nature of the payment matters. So payments to a payment network like PayPal are very easy to do because people easily understand exactly how PayPal works and it's simple to have their payments distributed as opposed to alternative. And number three is that we had to be able to do a degree of integration in the enterprise space into the systems of record so that we could extend what companies are doing. So we have, as a company, now got a patents and patents pending service architecture sold as SaaS. So we really call ourselves a financial technology platform for the enterprise. And we say that payments are a feature of what it is that we do But in the four verticals we serve, public sector, the travel space, the insurance space, and the legal services space, those all share a common set of requirements that the commercial nature and the business logic of how payments are moved and, of course, the safety and security are paramount. And that's what CIPRI sells.
1: And so what you do to actually process the payment is actually putting multiple pieces together to include that as one of the features within the platform. Is, is that correct? Does that sound about right? That's a great way to say
0: it. So unique to our approach is that because we don't monetize the payments per se, we are selling enterprise software. So we have built a mashup. Uh, basically, we consume a wide range of some APIs, some less structured Uh, interfaces, and in some instances, even file-based processing, so that we can offer our customers a single throat to choke when it comes to all the banking and supervised, of course, money movement, core money movement and clearing infrastructure. We surface all of that as part of our solution, but then unique to our approach is that we leverage networks like PayPal to be able to move the money onto networks that people are quite familiar with and and use. So let me give you a for instance. Today in the United States, one out of four Americans has a PayPal account. Venmo is the fastest growing network for person-to-person payment. Both Apple with Apple Pay Cash and Google with Google Wallet now have an ability to move money person-to-person and hold balance within their open loop ecosystems. And you look at some really interesting emerging alternatives, such as Balance on an Amazon account. We're one of the first to use that in production. They built a series of APIs for us that allowed for us to do it with the safety and integrity that we needed. But then you even look at some of the networks where we're really focused on utility, like the 20 to 25 million users of Starbucks Mobile Rewards. They typically top those up $50 at a time. We think for certain transactions, even going into places like, Starbucks Mobile Rewards, or now Uber with its new Uber Cash product, we're really seeing a lot of diversity in the networks. And at the end of the day, our customers benefit because their payees, whether they're small businesses, medium-sized businesses, or end-user consumers or employees, they, for the first time in history, get to be the dictator and pick where the payment's going to go.
1: So that gives the payer the option to have multiple different ways uh, to deliver funds. I guess the preference of the payee. So the delivery of, of the funds from the payer. How does that change in the landscape of them sending in money?
0: So is your question? Are we? We are exclusively focused on the money outside. So to put it in Treasury parlance, we are exclusively focused on the AP side, the accounts payable side. So for an insurance company, it turns out that that AP side is a pretty wide space that includes payments to service providers like dentists in the healthcare space or body shots for an auto insurer. But it also means that claimants, those that are receiving a component of deductibles or deductible reimbursement or subrogation or an amount of money that they're claimed because they paid for a tow truck and they have tow coverage under their AAA, those are all payments that need to be sent to either consumers or small businesses. So, The money in to one of those insured is not a part of our business currently. Now, interestingly, we do work a lot with these networks, and they, of course, do have offerings to help and assist with our customers for money in, but that's not one of the areas of focus for us as an enterprise software company.
1: Yeah, well, it's actually changing the landscape, right? So it's always determined that the the payer determines how the payee is going to be receiving the money, and you're flipping that out on its head saying, you know, this is the preference of the payee and bringing that uh, all automated software without having to have that communication done directly with the the two counterparts.
0: Yeah, and that is a great point. You've actually hit on two really central outcomes of using our service architecture. Number one is most enterprise customers, and this because I I know because of my 30-plus year career in enterprise software, most enterprise customers actually at this stage in time, especially with continuously diminishing IT budgets, And with complexity on these businesses, you look at how competitive the airline space is, how competitive for market share that an insurance company is, they really are not subject matter experts in doing any one of these networks, much less 10 of these under one single service architecture and all the banking infrastructure. And as you know, of course, some of our customers even have to consider doing international payments. Well, those are very, very complex things, just one at a time, much less 10 of them simultaneously. So number one, you hit the nail on the head, is that this uniform service architecture that allows for them to have configurable business logic, have a uniform service platform that gives them just the choice is a very powerful feature for that. And number three is that they have it in a service architecture that is amenable to the extension of their systems of records. So they can maintain their ERP, they can maintain their CRM, they can maintain their claims processing systems or their GDS if you're a large airline, yet we can extend those and give them this new utility of the second point you made, which is that the dictator is now no longer the payer. For the first time ever, the payee is the one who says, I want it in my PayPal account. I want it in my Venmo account. I want it as balance on Amazon. I want it in Uber credit. Those are all things that can be done. And that's a very powerful thing for our customers where they're competing for the will and the wallet of consumer customers, this is a great addition to how they're perceived by their customers. They're net forward. They tend to be processing these payments increasingly on mobile devices. And we think that that's something that really scales across the world.
1: It definitely definitely does, especially the demand, as you mentioned, is to get, for the corporates is obviously to get as many consumers as they can and keep that relationship uh, positive. now, how was it being done prior? You know, obviously, the the payer had the control of how they're making payments. Where did you see the majority of the payments were being done? Was it a bank-to-bank transfer, or how how was that process being done prior to what you've created?
0: Yeah, great question. So, of course, the reality is that any great payments business really is just coming behind and trying to do innovation at some level. Currency cloud, you know, is doing very much the same thing. The truth is you can move money on an international basis, but as it is today, doing SWIFT payments or trying to do international ACHs is a laborious process. The SWIFT network is known for losing transactions. So what you've done is very much the way we are, where you bring modern distributed architecture and you bring a lot of modern computing environments to be able to move payments directly to consumers with digital presentment and you manage settlement in the background. So. In some ways, we were really inspired, again, going back to the origins of the company. When we were at PayPal, it is still incredible to me that if you look at PayPal and Visa logically, what they really have done amazingly is they've built instant presentment networks. They are networks that because they control the ledger and they net settle the transactions or they're simply doing approval for a transaction, Visa has been in a world of instant presentment really for 15 or 20 years. The same is true of PayPal if I have the money in my PayPal account and I move the money to you, regardless of where you are in the world, it is instant from a presentment perspective. So the alternative that we bring to our customers, generally speaking, most of them are still doing paper check, EFT ACH, traditional ACH. At some level, they're doing some wires. And we see the fastest growing area for commercial customers is uh, the use of v-cards or p-cards. And we think that's largely because some companies have really innovated and done a lot of things with the software and presentment side of the solution. So they've made those platforms really, really amenable to feature function and business logic that we believe in. But we also believe they can all go the next step, which is use networks where people already transact money today. And they're really, really used to using those networks. So the alternatives we typically sell against and that we are positioning against are, first of all, that you're doing nothing. And believe it or not, I think uh, north of 15 billion transactions of the 22 billion transactions in the United States are still being done by paper check and in cash. So there is enormous opportunity for us to do process innovation because, of course, paper checks, it's not just the cost of the paper check, the process of writing the check and the fact that, that treasury departments are usually the only ones who can do it. So I would say that we are competing really with, against the status quo, number one. Number two, we are competing against emerging alternatives like Z-Cards. And number three, we really are sort of competing with ourselves. And I, I don't mean that to be glib, but our goal as a company right now is just to get out and tell people that now all of this choice does exist with one single purchase order. Quite honestly, our greatest challenge now is just getting out and telling people how the world has changed.
1: Yeah, and I think you you touched on it a couple of times, but the you know as the traditional facilitation of payments is always you know particularly done through transaction level pricing or or, or markups on specific areas. Whereas you kind of flip that as well, um, you know, showing that the value within is is the SaaS based type of model where you're adding specific features that involve payments or transactions, but the real value that you're providing to the end corporate is the software itself and the infrastructure. That Correct. You're Place. and that's how's the feedback that you're getting on that side as that's obviously very unique to comparable to the market at least from what i've seen
0: yes well so here's the reality ach payments can be purchased depending on who your bank is many banks for a lot of our corporate customers will even throw in ach payments so there really not only is there no money in those but the market perceives payments like ach's as being free or should be free uh and we sort of agree. It turns out that the cost of using Federal Reserve's infrastructure to move payments actually for banks is, I I believe, the price on it. Well, I can't say so publicly, but I know that the price is well below a penny. I agree with that. (laughs) for, For most banks, even if you were to take it to its obscene conclusion, being able to process an ACH transaction really should be free. It's a part of the utility of a modern economy. So... The hard part for our customers, you know, major airline customers or uh, major insurance customers, is that they are looking for a lot of accessorization. And the accessorization that we're focused on and really plowing into to innovation, we are focused on doing fraud mitigation of every single transaction. Now, that is not a big deal over on the credit card processing side, but even companies as legend as SAP or companies that have been in the commercial payments business for some time really are not doing a very healthy job because they're using ACH of doing fraud mitigation, in, intended beneficiary, and proper routing. Those are all things that we do at the very beginning of initiation of a payment all the way through the completion of a payment by using the networks that we use. So number one is we believe that accessorization is vital and that there's value in that and that our customers will pay for it and they're, they agree with us. Number two is that there are a set of features that are idiosyncratic to their business. So one of the technologies that we're at work on right now and getting a lot of excitement about and a lot of customer pull through is use of artificial intelligence computer vision for us being able to do artifact collection, technology stack that we call quick claims that allow for us to be able to requisition details that go to this point of fortification of who's the payee. So identity validation, electronic identity validation, mostly leveraging the smartphone. Those are accessories that our customers really didn't have access to and certainly don't with a traditional banking infrastructure. And then I would say the third piece for us is that the business model is novel, but when you explain to customers that the hard part is in the process lock and the downstream costs of them doing payments improperly and the exception handling, good operators, good innovators, good people who are building for operational efficiency and finding more productivity understand completely that the cost of a payment done poorly is metastasized and pushed all over the organization. So there's a cost to call centers. There's a cost to a net promoter score. There's a cost to a marketing. There's cost to a treasury function. There's cost to a control function. I may have OFAC or AML exposure if I'm not doing international payments properly. We think that is the province of putting it into an engineered service architecture. So we have customers step through and we can see them go through this process where we explain that the predictable cost of using enterprise service architecture to do this is worth every single penny.
1: Yeah, and in the way, obviously, that it's packaged in and according uh, to, to what you just explained is the innovation is, is what your forefront is in doing and let the company go ahead and grow in other ways as far as their re- revenue goes to give them more opportunities. For less friction on their side, and have you know something be more operational efficient. You did touch on AI, and I'd like to get get that in before we close out here. You know, obviously we're at the forefront of uh, just the beginning of a big term of AI. But you said that you mentioned that you were utilizing it in, in multiple different ways as far as verification, and I would just like to touch on that briefly. Of uh, you know what what types sure. of innovations are you seeing that you can use that for to enhance a product like yours? Uh, great question. The Artificial intelligence, and it's, you know,
0: there's an old adage adage of artificial intelligence. It's neither artificial nor intelligent, unless it is really in the hands of people who understand what it is that trying to say. The truth is that I think what we're seeing is, I don't think we're at the beginning. I actually think we're in the middle stages of using computer logic, particularly fused with access to low cost or frankly, no cost big data analysis. So our ability, for instance, to have you know, we hit, we're approaching 100 million rows of payee data. And in the past, the tools that it would take to load those into a traditional RDBMS uh, data management infrastructure was quite expensive. And the technical skill and heft that it required to load that data, syndicate that data into a traditional data mart, as opposed to now loosely coupled data lakes or even lighter weight, NoSQL style solutions, was really cost prohibitive. So even five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, the ability to build a large data mart to be able to ask a couple of fundamental questions was cost prohibitive. So then the second piece is that human analysts didn't have the richness of visualization tools that we now possess. And a lot of them are available on a per use basis or are so inexpensive that the ability to visualize data, which is where I believe analysts exist, and then the ability to snap those findings into a set of parametric business logic requirements. I believe that artificial intelligence is mostly human intelligence that's being accelerated because we can see so much from data at a larger scale. So we are at work right now, for instance, I'll give you one key one here. It turns out that electronic mail, the ham to spam ratios are, are getting worse and worse and worse. The deliverability of email is central, of course, to our ability to make payments. Well, we look very, very hard at the regular expressions and of the heuristics and are using, in some instances, third-party tools, but even our own analysis of just trying to make a determination as to whether or not a transaction may be fraudulent simply based on the construction of the email. Those tasks are now possible because you can ask lots of iterative questions, and then you can easily go back and backtest them and find controlled cases of fraud and determine and then snap forward a signature based on the construction of the email. That's just one example of where we're using some of the artificial intelligence.
1: Yeah, it's really you know, good examples of you know, where we're, I guess, where we've already been and how we're now utilizing that data to transform into positive and, and trying to get the less operational efficiencies accordingly. Well, Mark, you know it's really good information to, to provide our listeners here. For, for our team here, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you guys over at CIPRI?
0: I certainly invite you. We have a really great body of content at www.tipry.com. That's S I P R E -E E.com. There's contact information there. And for enterprises in those four verticals travel, insurance, public sector, or the legal services space uh, we can have our service architecture up and running in four to six weeks with very, very little requirements on behalf of the customer. We would love to get out and start doing some pilots and
1: find ways to work with large enterprises and change the world. That's awesome. And I appreciate the time today, Mark, and like I said, we'll we'll always be in touch with you guys and uh, looking forward to see how you guys grow in the in the near future.
0: We're all in it together as they say. So, uh, thank you, Chris. I
1: really appreciate the time. Appreciate it as well. Take care, Mark. All the best. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses we're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at currencycloud.com.
0: You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.